0: Kia ora, Koa Anne O'Brien tuku ingua. e o Waituhi o tamaki, no mai Hiramai. I'm Anne O'Brien, director of the Auckland Writers Festival, Waituhi o tamaki, and you're listening to a session podcast from our 2022 event. We hope you enjoy it. Apples Will Fall, supported by platinum patrons Susan and Gavin Walker. She's a global sensation, the best selling Australian author of 10 engaging novels, including Big Little Lies and Nine Perfect Strangers, both of which attracted Nicole Kidman's interest and have been made into smash-hit television series. Leanne Moriarty has sold more than 20 million copies of her books, the latest of which is Apples Never Fall. It's a witty and substantive study of family dynamics, as well as a mystery revealed in snippets and whispers, bearing all the hallmarks of her deft skills as an observer and a storyteller. Sydney Sydneysider Moriarty, who is the eldest of six siblings, Joins for a lively hour canvassing her stellar career, the stories that inspire her stories, and the never ending fascination of contemporary human behaviour in conversation with Michelle Eckhart.
1: Inga reo, inga e waka, inga e karangatanga maha, no mai, hairi mai, kite nei hui, fakihira hira, ite pone. Me mihi tiki kite mana fenua or tamaki makoro. Kingati fatua ora kei tena koto kato kei aku rangatira tena koto kato tena koto tena tena kato Good evening everybody and welcome to this conversation with Leanne Moriarty I'm Michelle Acourt. I'm delighted to be your kai fakataki for this evening for Apple's Will 4. We'll do a tiny bit of housekeeping before we begin our conversation. Uh, Please make sure that your telephones are on silent. We encourage you to wear your masks uh, to keep each other safe while you're in the room. We love it when you post to social media, but please be considerate of fellow audience members as you do this. And near the end of this session, we are gonna give you your chance to ask Leanne your questions using the microphones that are set up in the aisles. I'll let you know when we're about to do that so that you can move to the microphones and form an orderly queue. And can I just remind you that they need to be questions rather than the story of your life (laughs) when we get to that bit. I also want to um, say our huge thanks, nga nui, to our Platinum patrons, Susan and Gavin Walker, for their support of this session. It is hugely appreciated. So, Leanne, your first novel, Three Wishes, was published in 2004. Uh, and to date, you've written nine novels. They've been translated into 40 different languages. Sold 22 million copies worldwide. You've had three number one, I don't know why I'm telling you this, you know. (laughs) You've had three number one New York Times bestsellers. Two of your novels have become hit TV series. More of them are about to hit our screens very soon. You are, and I, I know that Australians are like Kiwis, we feel weird about hearing this, but you are a global sensation. So I want to know if there was a moment in your career, a highlight that let you know that you were, that you had arrived, that you were a successful writer, a moment that you treasure.
2: Uh, There are a few moments actually. So first of all, there's just the um, moment when you realize that your book's actually published. Uh, And so that was sitting on a Sydney ferry uh, and the person sitting next to me pulled out the copy of Three Wishes, uh, and so I was looking over, and uh, I could see the page that she was reading, and I was thinking, oh, that's quite a funny bit, um, and then looking, looking up at her to see if she was laughing. <laughs> uh, and then she obviously uh, got sick of me and closed the book and <laughs> moved away. Uh, so any time seeing anybody with my book, that ha- also happened once, at Sydney Airport, and I was there with my family that time, uh, and my dad walked straight up to this um, woman reading my book and said, would you like to meet the author of that book <laughs> you're reading? I I know, and you could see she was thinking, no, I don't want to meet that. <laughs> uh, she was mortified, I was mortified. Uh, but it's still that never that feeling of seeing somebody And now my children will say, look, she's reading the book. And that never, I never, excuse me, take that for granted. That always gives me that rush of of goosebumps. Yeah.
1: And writers really love you and your work. Um, I was looking at uh, your Facebook page, not in a stalkery way, (laughs) a little bit. um, And there was a fantastic photograph of three copies of Apples Never Fall, posted by a woman who, you, you tell the story, what had happened?
2: I, she was in Norfolk, I, is that how you say it? Norfolk? Yeah, Norfolk. Norfolk, yeah. Norfolk. that's yeah. how you say it, yeah, I wasn't saying it right. Um, and she her, and her two sisters-in-law um, went on holidays and they, all three of them, pulled out copies of Apples Never Fall and then she posted the photo of it. Yeah, that gave me a real kick. It was yeah,
1: lovely. that's fantastic. So those are the sort of career highs. Do you want to share with us a career low?
2: (laughs) Yes, there are definitely uh, career lows. So uh, any event, it's always lovely to see people here uh, because I have done some with uh, a lot of empty chairs. So I remember doing one uh, in Australia uh, and there were only three people in the audience and I remember thinking to myself, uh, no, sorry, it wasn't three, it was two, literally two. Uh, And I remember thinking, um, and and it was the chairs and then the podium. Uh, And I remember thinking, well, they've come to see me, I should give them my all, you know, uh, even though there's only two of them. So I went up behind the podium and I did all my little stories and they were, they were so animated and smiling and being really lovely. Uh, and afterwards, I went to say hello, and it turned out that it was the bookshop uh, manager's um, mother and grandmother <laughs> that was the only people they could get to come along. LAUGHTER
1: they probably still talk to this day about the <laughs> fabulous time they had maybe, with you.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Or maybe they say, Remember that time you dragged us along?
1: Because <laughs> you were well known in America before you were well known in Australia. Was there a sort of gap between those two things?
2: Yes, there, wa- there was. It was a strange time where I'd get on the plane in um, Sydney and none of the bookshops had my books, and then I'd go um, to the other side of the world, and it felt like a parallel universe where I was um, a best-selling novelist, and as soon as I got off the plane, there were my books
1: That's in, amazing. The, in the shops. Is there probably some advantages to that in some ways? You know, you go home, be completely normal? Um, no, I, I prefer... Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I would too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would too. Yeah,
2: my husband did used to say, it's our job to keep you grounded, so... Um, but. No, uh, not really, because it's not like, um, it's, as an author, it's not like being a film star yeah. or something where you'd like to be anonymous. I'm still anonymous everywhere. Yeah,
1: yeah. So look, before we talk about Apples Never Fall, I want to hear the story of you becoming a writer because this is your dream, right? You are living the dream that you had as a child, so um, at, you know, making a living out of writing stories. Tell us about the family that you grew up in.
2: Uh, yes, so I'm the eldest of six children. Uh, and when I was little, uh, I loved to write stories, and so did my next sister, down. And when my father found out that we liked writing stories, he uh, said, well, I'm, I will commission you to write your first books then. Uh, and so he gave us our first publishing deals, uh, so he would pay a dollar for an exercise book filled with words, um, and he then did, he had a plastic roulette wheel, and he'd play against us and win back all the money uh, <laughs> that, he, that he'd paid us, so, uh, but it was very special because it, it, uh, it, it made you feel like he was taking you seriously, um, yeah. and that it was a, a real job. Um, But then, as the years went by, I wrote less and less, so I I lost that sort of crazy
1: self-confidence
2: that I had as a child.
1: I've heard you say that, you know, you didn't come back to writing again until your mid-30s. So there's this confidence and self-belief as a younger person, and then it disappears. So I think that's a really common story for women, that we lose our confidence somewhere in our, maybe in our teens, maybe into our 20s. Do you, you're a really astute um, observer of the human condition. Do you know what that's about for us? I
2: I think some people have called it the confidence gap that actually, yeah, something happens. I don't know, is it that we become too self-conscious? I don't know, I don't know the answer, but um, uh, yeah. And I'm watching my own daughter thinking, I don't want that to, yeah. to happen to you. How um, old is she? Twelve. Yeah. Mm.
1: I mean, I see that happen in some of your characters in your books as well, that there are moments where they lose their voice, and then there are moments later in the novel where they regain them. So that's a recurring thing, I mm. think, in your books. I, mean, you know, I
2: couldn't have kept the confidence that you have as a child is sort of that... you know I don't care if it's any good so you need to have a little bit more of a critical voice uh as you get older yeah um but then to stop writing um yeah I I wish I hadn't stopped
1: caught up now though so Mm. that's all right (laughs) you're not the first published author in the family
2: no so that's what happened so the year so I ended up having a career in advertising and marketing I uh, got quite corporate and had the big shoulder pads um, and had a corner office overlooking a car park. And that was the day that I got a call. I can always remember uh, exactly uh, where I was when I got the call from my sister to say that her first book, uh, Feeling Sorry for Celia, had been accepted for publication. And so I was very happy for her because I do love her dearly but I was also filled with a kind of uh, rage, really. Um, and the rage was directed not at her, but at me, because um, she'd gone ahead and achieved our childhood dream, and I hadn't even given it a shot. Um, so she's, she's lovely, she always says, I, you would have done it one day without me, but I don't think I would have. I think I needed to see her do it first.
1: Yeah, blaze the trail for you. Mm. So did you immediately turn around and you know, throw off the shoulder pads and write? <laughs>
2: I, I, so it was a, coming up to the year 2000, so I wrote a children's book um, called The Animal Olympics um, and it was about all the different animals that would, um, I always tell this in case, I'm still hoping to get the, the deal that I never got. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I still think it was good. Uh, it was the animals that would win the, each Olympic, So, you know, the flea would win the the high jump and things like that. And the ant would win the, see, it's good, isn't it? We love it. (laughs) The ant would win the weightlifting. Uh, Anyway, Uh, that book was enthusiastically rejected by every publisher. Uh, And that's when I, because I really was, I was rushing to just try and um, catch up with Jackie. Yeah. Uh, And then, uh, yeah, then I calmed down and then I wrote Three Wishes.
1: Your books, are, and so are whose, in a sense, are family dramas. Is there a race to get first dibs on a family anecdote?
2: Yes, absolutely. So when people ask, is there a competition between us, we always say only for family anecdotes. Um, so you either have to... So if my mum's talking to me on the phone, I will often say, stop right there. I just want it known that I've got this um, (laughs) before anybody else. Uh, And on the family text messages, I have sometimes been typing so far saying, I want this, I want this as a, you know, because stories, you know how they do when family text messages start to evolve.
1: (laughs) Writing is so much a, large parts of it are a solitary occupation. It must be. Pretty terrific because you've got another sister who's also a writer. Yes,
2: yeah, so then the next sister, da- uh, sorry, the youngest sister, so there are, um, so she's Nicola Moriarty, and so she writes too. Yeah. So, but the other two sisters um, have no interest and they love it when people say, Are you one of the writers? No, they don't. They don't love that at <laughs> no, they all. They don't love yeah. it at all.
1: <laughs> so do you share some of the angst and uh, as you know as well as fighting over anecdotes do you share some ideas with your sisters as well
2: uh, not so much ideas but definitely when things are going wrong yep. um then we comfort each other um a lovely thing we have sometimes done for each other is looking up each other's five star reviews and sending those in so you can safely uh, you know, so you don't, because I never look at reviews oh, anymore.
1: It's great. Right. You've um, got to f- people to filter. To
2: filter and just, if you're if you've got a, having a bad day, to, you know, get a lovely review. Uh, and we often send each other our manuscripts at the same time as we're submitting them to our editors. And our job in that case is um, just to read it very quickly and to come back very fast and say, this is a masterpiece. Um, This is the best thing you've ever written. Um, So it's really just to give you comfort before before the editing process begins.
1: I love that. Um, I wanted, I heard a rumour that your sister Jackie gave you a sort of writing prompt and it became this book. Is that true?
2: That is true, yes. Uh, uh, so what happened was I was actually, um, 2019, I was calling my year of joy. Um, and so I'd, uh, it's a little bit tongue in cheek, and I'm, obviously I'm very glad it wasn't 2020. Um, and I'd said to my family, it will be all about joy for me. Uh, and if you also experience some joy as a result of that, that's okay. But it's really, It's really about me. So the idea was that, um, because I've been delivering a book every, I normally have a book out every two years. Yeah. So that means you finish all the promotional um, stuff and then you're writing again. And I was thinking, I don't want to start another book uh, for this year. And so I was thinking that I would um, read poetry and... You know, become one of those type of people who yeah. um, sit under a tree with a slim volume of poetry mm-hmm. um, and meditate. Um, but I did think to myself, I don't want to stop writing completely, and I, I thought I'll write some short stories. So I said to my sister, um, Send me a prompt for a short story. Uh, and she did, and she described some apples lying on the grass with um, a bike lying next to it. Uh, and it turns out I'm no good. I don't I don't know why I thought I don't like writing short stories um I just started writing a novel uh and also because I'm I i do not even like poetry that much either <laughs> <laughs> you probably
1: you don't. don't like sitting meditating <laughs> no. on a rug either
2: no no, okay. no. I mean you, you can fill your days with laundry and trying to read a poem and then I think I could have been writing a book in this time um, and it was nice because there, it did mean though that I took a little bit longer with this book so i think um so for the, the readers who really love a fast-paced book i um sometimes i think it's not good if my books are described as thrillers because i don't think they're thrilling enough to be described and this book in particular i think if you really want a quick 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 um i i i lingered as i and i loved writing this book because i knew um i had more time and so i loved my characters Um, So I think it makes it a better book but I can understand the real thriller readers might think I'll
1: get to the point. (laughs) I love the characters in this book too but not at the beginning. Mm. That's a little observation I want to make is that you know it opens with the four I don't know how many people I'm not going to do spoilers or anything but it's about the Delaney family um, 69 year old Joy who has gone missing um, and her husband Stan has scratches on his face and There are four adult children who are worried that they are a disappointment to their parents, and indeed they largely are. (laughs) (laughs) And in the beginning, I didn't like any of them, and I had a moment when I was reading it of going, I don't like these four people, and then I thought, trust me, Ann, you'll love them soon, <laughs> and by the end of it, I mean, I was quite a, an emotional wreck by the end of the book, oh, to God. be honest, I did a boo-hoo that's, in that's a public aim. place, <laughs> um, that's quite a, is that, was that intentional, is that, I, I mean, I, f- I feel like that happens in more of your books, that you will begin with the flaws mm. of the people, and make us fall in love with them after, later. Uh
2: I don't know that I.
1: Uh,
2: I would actually prefer you.
0: Prefer love you them like, straight off. Yeah,
2: not love them straight off, but no, I. You know, I don't want you not to like any of them. Okay. You know? Okay. <laughs> yeah. So just uh, all b- b- bit and me. But I do want their,
1: yeah, Do you think?
2: <laughs> just in those
1: cafe scenes, I'm talking right at the very beginning where they're, and, and they're all yes. just a wee bit too snarly and snappy and shallow. Yeah,
2: it's, it is, it's really...
1: <laughs> I love them later.
2: I know, no, it's interesting to, um, because I know them so well and I can always remember with um, Three Wishes, which is about three sisters, and so maybe if I'm focusing too much of the comedy and the conflict, and forgetting um, to make them likeable enough. And I can always remember an editor saying something and then sometimes you only need one line to flip the reader's thinking. Um, And so maybe I needed that. So I'm actually going to think of that when I'm writing my next. Novel. Oh,
1: Don't do anything different on my no, no, account. No, 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 I was, but it's true. I see it by page six. Yes,
2: when, was... when the next one crashes and burns, I'll say, we know why. My fault, all <laughs> oh,
1: my fault. So this book is about, to, in large part, it's about the sacrifices that, sacrifices that women make as mothers and wives. Um, it's also about tennis. Why mm. is it about tennis? Yes, yeah, so I, n- I never set
2: out to write a book about um, tennis and I, I, don't, um, I don't actually know that much about tennis, which um, resulted in a very embarrassing interview with the BBC um, where they were saying to me, um, and you've put out a book about tennis, Today of all days, and I was thinking, what's today of? Why is today? And he was going on. He was saying, "Can you believe it? I can't believe it." I finally had to say, "I don't." I'm sorry, I don't know. Um, It was because um, they finally had. Emma raducanu Red, I'm not sure how to pronounce her name. any um, tennis fans in the proper tennis fans in the audience. She'd just won the u s Open for, and it was the first time in years and years, so the country was going mad um, with delight. Um, yeah so but so tennis uh, i had I had my premise, which was that, as you said, that a woman goes missing and the four children have to deal with the terrible possibility, maybe the father's responsible. So I knew, um, I knew that's what it was going to be about. Uh, and I had thought to myself, I want to give this family a family business, really just so I could keep them in one location, um, because it's annoying when you have to send your characters out to work each day. Um, so from, it's, really, it's really from a logistical point of view. Um, and also, it's it's like uh, so with Nine Perfect Strangers. I could send them all off to a health resort, take away their phones, and then then it's like Agatha Christie sending you know in, on an island, except it's harder these days um, because a mobile phone spoils the plot of um, so many. But you books. got rid of those. Yeah. So I had to take them off them in um, Nine Perfect Strangers. Um, so I thought to myself, and and I was having a tennis lesson. Um, because I was trying to keep up with my son because my son's actually got quite good. Uh, and while I was having this lesson, I thought, I know, I'll make, um, I'll make the um, family business a tennis school. And then it was interesting then as the days went by, I thought, oh, I guess if they run a tennis school, they're really into tennis. <laughs> so now I'm going to have to learn about tennis and, you know, maybe they used to be competitive players themselves. And then I started talking to tennis players. Uh, so, And then I talked to one young man who'd just recently given up his tennis career. And I talking to him, I was just really struck by what a big decision that had been for him and how he was obviously still sort of grieving. Um, mm and how his mother had a, a shrine of, of the trophies and his mother still didn't um, wished he hadn't done it. He didn't like looking, um, watching the tennis because some of his friends who he'd come up with were still on the circuit. Yeah. Um, and that's just then what really got me thinking about, so how interesting is it that um, if you've got the talent and you've put in the hours and you've got the dedication but you don't make it, what happens then, which is obviously the case for the vast majority of people. Yeah. Um, so then tennis started to drive the story.
1: Yeah, in a really lovely way. And I got this impression as, as it went on that Joy had spent so much of her life not playing tennis but being the umpire for the family, trying mm. to keep the peace between father and, and the four kids. So it was such a lovely um, frame for for the story to hang on. You do that in all of your books. There's, you know, there's some research involved. You know, you, you, there's this, um, I really love the hypnotist love story and there's some, there's some proper facts about <laughs> what, how hypnotism works and what the mm. ethics of it are. And um, <clears throat> is that part of the joy of writing for you is doing the research into a world that you previously didn't necessarily know about?
2: Yeah, I mean, in, sometimes I just wish I knew everything um because obviously this book would it would be a better book if i had been a professional tennis player but i can't be everything um in the same way that's so truly madly guilty um i talked to cellists so and then i got to um go to the group backstage of the sydney symphony orchestra and have wonderful experiences yeah. like that um the hypnotist love story i went and uh, got myself hypnotised. Actually at the time I was desperately uh, trying to have a baby so I said to her, um, I I said well treat me as you would, you know, dealing with fertility issues Um, and it is true that um, nine months later I did have (laughs) a baby and I did tell that story once um, and somebody put their hand up and said was the hypnotist a man? <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and, I, and you are all much quicker than me, because um, I just said, no, it was a woman. Yeah. And, then, and then I went back to my hotel room and I sat up in the middle of the night and <laughs> she means the hypnotist got me <laughs> pregnant. I, did,
1: I <laughs> Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> um... COVID, lockdowns, make an appearance near the end of the book. Was that something you felt had to happen? You would have been finishing the manuscript, I'm thinking, in 2020 when COVID became (laughs) a thing. It's very popular. Um, Still is. Uh, So was there a choice about whether you acknowledged the existence of that? No, I
2: wasn't setting out to, so I'd written, um, so when lockdown hit, I was well into the novel, um, but I was going, I had the two timelines. Uh, and so I got to this point in the novel, and then I realized, oh, okay, well now COVID would be hitting. So I could, I could have just brought it all back a little bit and pretended it never happened. Um, but then it seemed to work, having it, having it at there. At the end, but it's it's still a it's still a tricky time because um, yeah I don't I really try hard not to look at reviews, but I did see one um, saying one star um, it was it was good except she should not have mentioned COVID. <laughs> so people are so funny. Oh,
1: yeah, and it was, <laughs> another review would say uh, she should have acknowledged COVID. Yes, yeah, um, yes,
2: it's and it is tricky. So now I think. Now, the next book, do I just set so COVID as if we're all, we're all done? Yeah. It's, it's like when you see those TV shows where you just see a, an occasional person wearing a mask. Or, yes. you know, yeah. Yeah, yeah.
1: What was lockdown like for you? What, you were in Sydney, I imagine, with your family during those lockdowns. What, yeah. Was that, I know that I have talked to some writers who have said it was, well, not fabulous, but... Um, and a reason to stay put and be productive? Did Mm. it feel like that for you? Um, Yes,
2: so (coughs) that first lockdown, uh, I'd actually lost my dad just a few weeks before. So we were very lucky because we got to have a a big funeral um, just um, a week or so later that we would not have got that funeral. Uh, And so it was interesting because you know that line about um, poem about let the clocks stop, um, which is what you want when you're grieving, so the clocks literally did stop um, yeah. and in a way that was a really lovely um, time um, that everything stopped and there wasn't the pressure um, to yeah. go out. Um, and also my novel had momentum so I've talked to other novelists who had to st- were trying to start something new and they just couldn't they couldn't write, which I can absolutely understand, but because it already, I knew where I was going, mm-hmm. um, I wrote, I loved, yeah. I, I always, you know, you always feel the need to say, of course, we'd prefer not to have had the terrible pandemic, but um, I, I loved those, that time.
1: Yeah, the, pa- the place you were in the process was probably very useful. I mean, I, so here's the thing. I, uh, I'm trying not to ask you where your stories come from, but I'm going to. Um, <laughs> Because you are, as I've said, a really astute observer of human nature, I think, and you have this um, ability that I love so much of being able to create a whole family full of different characters and you write in their voices or um, from inside their heads uh, and they're all distinct voices, there must be moments in the process, particularly in the beginning when you're looking at a blank, I mean, eventually they, I'm guessing, uh, not a writer of fiction, so I'm just thinking it must be magical, where you've created the characters and they can just start doing things all by themselves, is that Um, anything like what actually goes on? Yeah,
2: well, it's exactly, for me, Um, I I don't, my characters don't come to me fully formed, so, you know, J.K. Rowling tells the story of being on the train and Harry Potter just came to her Um, whereas for me when I'm writing a new book I always miss the characters from the last book because I know how they talk um, and I know them but I get to know my characters through the process of writing them Um, and so I will often take an attribute possibly from somebody I know, just one attribute. So I've never stolen an entire personality. Um, But I can always remember for the character of Madeline in Big Little Lies, writing down um, perpetually outraged like so-and-so. And Uh, and then I also wrote a shimmery sort of sparkly girl like so-and-so. And so I had those two attributes and then I just start writing. And then through the process of writing, she comes to be Madeleine, uh, and then and, and she's nothing like either of those two people. Um, and then I can go back and I rewrite the earlier scenes because then I think, I, Madeline I, now I know how she talks. She wouldn't do this or she wouldn't
1: say that. Yeah, fantastic. Are you a, I've, I've heard you say somewhere else that you're an eavesdropper. Is that true? You, you're just lurking. I,
2: yeah, I, I come from a family of eavesdroppers so if um, you're out with my mother uh, at a restaurant and she'll be sitting there and she'll be leaning back <laughs> and then you'll start talking to her and so she's stressing she's very interesting <laughs> going on back there. There's nothing better than the you know a big argument or something going on at the next table.
1: <laughs> oh that's fantastic. Do you keep a notebook? Are you a jotter, a downer of things that you... Uh, a little bit. Um, yeah, some, st- I do sometimes take
2: notes on my, on my phone, but often they make no sense yeah. afterwards. Yeah. Uh,
1: there's, a, there's a bit of eavesdropping in the book, in this book, um, and also in Three Wishes, where you know every now and then in between chapters in Three Wishes, there'll just be a page of, of characters who have never been there before and will never come back again, just doing their commentary on the main characters and the in that book. My favorite cameo in Apples Never Fall is um, the hairdresser, senior stylist, Narelle Longford, (laughs) who um, has somebody sitting in her, it's just two pages and it's just divine. And um, she's got someone in her chair who is giving her, I don't know why I'm telling you the story, you wrote it. Um, her theories about what has gone on and, and who's killed Joy or buries the body where, well, and, um, and, the, uh, and senior stylist Narelle Longford says, any marriage of that many years has multiple motives for murder.
0: <laughs>
1: Every police officer and hairdresser knows that. <laughs> and you just go, and like, it's quite, dark, your books are quite dark, but you just go, yeah, no, every marriage there's a potential murderer, at least one in there, and that's what's so delightful about it, because, you know, in Big Little Lies, they kill someone, that's outrageous, and it seems perfectly normal and acceptable, because you (laughs) make it so natural that this would occur.
2: Well, she accidentally, it was an accident. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Sure. (laughs) Yes, but nobody's terribly sorry about it. no. (laughs) No. Yes, and yeah, I, I hear that one of my other, um, the last anniversary, you, you know, somebody gets murdered with it. There's a story about somebody being murdered by being bashed with a breadboard and you just, you get to that part of the book and you go, oh yeah, that seems reasonable. <laughs> <laughs> oh
2: yeah, that was, that was very reasonable. So I, I agree.
1: Is this intentional? Is it, do you, have you set out to go, I'm going to write books that center women who do occasionally horrific things?
2: No, I've, um, I no, because I, I've always just started with a story. Um, it is, and I just, I think it was The Husband's Secret where I took a much darker turn yeah. than with previous novels, because I always remember um, a man from America writing me a letter saying, um, what happened to you? He said, you used to be so funny, but um, the books have really taken a dark turn. And um, anyway, I hope you're okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I had to write back and say, that the thing is, um, that was, Husband's Secret was sort of my breakout book. Yeah. Um, and my American editor afterwards sent an email. Um, so she would never say, Exactly what you should write about, but basically she was saying, you know, she was saying. So readers really seem to respond to that. Um, but the bottom line, she was saying, do that again. Um, but I've still tried not to. I've, I guess I've just lent in a little bit, um, yeah. And it, and I've enjoyed that, um, taking a more suspenseful turn and you know, and not being afraid. They're still funny. I mean, I mean, that's... Yeah, I thought it was still funny. Yeah, 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 totally. But I would never write um, a straightforward uh, serial killer, you know, right. just, just with dead women, just, yeah, you yeah, know, okay. beautiful dead women right there on the first page. I, no, no. No, I'm not having it. <laughs> um,
1: but you do make us sympathise with... So, again, the hypnotist's love story, one of the characters is a stalker, and you make her quite, I mean, I feel tremendous affection for her, even though she's doing something that is pretty awful. Um, I I don't want to do the full lay down on the couch, let me psychoanalyze you, but. (laughs) (laughs) Might be relaxing. (laughs) As well as growing up with many siblings, you also grew up with foster brothers and sisters who sometimes came from pretty difficult backgrounds they I mean everybody has a story and some of their stories were quite dark do you think maybe that's where it comes from your your interest in that and also your ability to tell those darker stories with a light touch
2: um possibly I I I like the thought of it because it makes me sound interesting um (laughs) I don't know if it's true I don't know if I would have just always been uh you know, because so many of us that's um, are interested in the darker side of life and, you, you know, you read these stories. Um, uh, but but possibly, um, yeah, somebody else said something about, um, because my father was um, an aerial surveyor and a pilot and she did this beautiful parallel between um, him, flying and then coming down, you know, as if my writing had somehow been affected by that. It makes no sense,
1: but it sounded, it sounded beautiful. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I wanna talk about the industry for, um, for women writers, writers who are women. Right from the start, you all your books are, have women at the center. Um, mm-hmm. There is a tendency to classify books written by women, about women, for women as women's fiction. But I always notice that, you know, we don't say that John Grisham writes men's fiction. He just writes fiction. How do you feel about that?
2: So I've I've sort of been spinning around in circles about that. So uh, I would always say originally it made no sense that it was women's fiction, why were we the, um, the subcategory um, when women make up most of the readers of fiction in the first place. Yeah. Um, but then I do always remember a journalist saying to me once, um, she said, so most of your readers are women, is that right? And I said, yes. And she said, so it's okay for me to say that. And I said, of course, why would it not um, be okay to say that? Um, and I, I, I mean, I love the fact I love having male readers as well, and there are more and more of them coming to events. But normally, it's uh, mostly women, and I I love that. Uh, and she said, uh, um, she said, oh, you'd be surprised. And I was thinking, oh, and then I realized what she meant was she meant the term women's fiction that I didn't want to be described as writing women's fiction. And then I started to think. Um, is there a, maybe the reason I've resisted being called women's fiction, is there sort of an internalized misogyny there because I'm thinking if it's women's fiction, it's therefore lesser fiction. Um, because the fact is that if John Grisham's books were described as man's, men's fiction, he would have no trouble, mm-hmm. but no problem with that. He'd mm-hmm. say, yes, I write men's fiction, and it is very good fiction. Um, yeah. Whereas I think for women, we're saying, oh, but, you know, it's just it's, it's just pretty little story. So then I started thinking, oh, should I actually embrace the term
0: uh-huh.
2: women's fiction? But I could turn again. I don't, I, yeah. uh, I don't know. That's, uh, that's why whenever anybody um, says, what sort of books do you write, um, which happened just at the airport coming here yesterday, a very scary looking man, you know, the, the people who look at your passport and they say doubtfully, so you're an author. And then he said, what sort of books do you write? Um, <laughs> and <then laughs> I was thinking, you don't know how complicated a question that, that is. I could do the whole women's fiction, couldn't, we? but what do you think? Internalized misogyny, I don't
1: know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. <laughs> is it kind of satisfying in a way that women's fiction is really hot right now? Mm. You know, that's, mm. that's actually what we want. It's, yes. it, yeah. you know, it's what Reese Witherspoon and Nicole Kidman wanted. They wanted it, your books because they are women's fiction.
2: And because there were multiple good roles for women. Yeah, yeah. So something that I always felt, um, you know, perhaps made it... Um, a lesser book um, was actually the the thing that they they really wanted.
1: Feels like maybe the publishing industry might catch up with Mm. the people who write them and the people who read them (laughs) who have had this sort of secret relationship Mm. going on all these (laughs) years. But I do actually
2: have a lot of men now coming up in the in the signing line to saying, I read your books because it gives me insights. <gasps> so so they, they're...
1: Uh, yeah. Fantastic. <laughs> you should slip some stuff in. <laughs>
2: to trick them. Yeah, to trick
1: them. <laughs> or just make it really clear that we like foot rubs. I don't know. <laughs> yes. Something. You, said you have said that at the beginning of your career, um, you weren't invited to writers' festivals because your work wasn't... Literary, that's obviously changed. Is that satisfying for you? Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah.
2: <laughs> okay. Good. <laughs> well, it was funny when I first finally started getting right, invited to writers' festivals, and seeing um, children's books authors were there. Um, there were crime writers were there. So all these people were there. They'd all been at this party for so long, hmm. um, and I think it was. It wasn't so much, I think, um, the literary versus commercial, but the women—that women's fiction label—I think that was partly, yeah. partly why.
1: We are really dismissive of mm. women's as an adjective, aren't mm. we? You know, mm. we, we have some magazines in this country that have been—they're iconic in the proper sense of that word. You know, they've been around for generations, and people are still dismissive of. Oh, it's just women's magazines, mm. and why why well, is that any less valuable and less reflective of the culture and less um,
0: important
1: well i think we can't we can't help it because um
2: we only just got here you know it hasn't been that long uh, so it's still part of our subconscious yeah thank
1: yeah let's talk about the the making of the television the glamour of 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 that. Um, tell me about that time you had coffee with Nicole Kidman. <laughs> uh,
2: yes, yeah, so I uh, I got the um, I got the call to say that um, Nicole wanted to meet me, uh, and I went to the cafe. I was early, uh, and when I got there, the cafe was closed. Um, so I thought. to myself, well, I wonder maybe, because it's Nicole, maybe um, they're going to just open it just for her. Um, so, I can remember going around the back of the cafe and I could see the kitchen staff there uh, and I looked through the door and I was saying, are you closed, and they said, yes, and then, but then I thought I should let them know that I was in with the, the people. <laughs> um, so I made meaningful eye contact <coughs> and I said, but are you closed for everybody? <laughs> Um, And they said, yes, we're closed for everybody. Um, So it was just that the cafe was closed. Um, So we then had to find, I was then told, go to this cafe. Um, So I then went to another cafe, and then I went in, and I can always remember saying to the, the man there, I am here to meet somebody. And you could tell he was thinking, does she not know how cafes work. <laughs> just, <you> know. <laughs> um, and, and then finally, I, I did meet her, um, and she was lovely, and, uh, and I can always remember um, saying to her, well, I know not to get too excited, because you may or may not do this, because I've, I've had books optioned mm. before, and um, the years just roll by, and, nothing happens, and she said, um, no, no, if we option it, get excited, um, because we won't be optioning it just for the sake of it.
1: Yeah, fantastic. What has it been like to watch? So the first one that made it onto the the screen was um, Big Little Lies. Quite often we hear from writers that what ends up on the screen is not what they imagined, not what they envisioned. But you were involved in the process, so was it what you, did what we see match with what you had imagined?
2: Uh, I was actually quite hands off, so I didn't, I didn't um, write the screenplay, they asked if I'd like to write the screenplay, but um, for me, because part of the pleasure for me in writing is finding out what's going to happen, so I didn't, so with Apples Never Fall, I didn't know whether Stan was guilty or innocent. Um, So for me, the thought of writing the screenplay for Big Little Lies uh, just filled me with boredom because um, I already know what's going to happen. Uh, And it's just writing for a different medium. Uh, And I've also always believed that you should, um, that that I I don't think that books should be adapted completely faithfully. um, I think because it is a different medium that changes should be made. Um, and so I was very happy to, to hand it over and just be a very interested bystander. Um, and so it was wonderful because um, I know every author does not get that experience that um, they feel left out, um, but they just kept me involved, um, letting me know what was going on. Um, and I got to go to the set and you know see the stunt people working out the, um, how they would um, fall. Um, for the big scene, um, I was there on the night that they were filming the the big trivia night, so all the people dressed Costumes, up. Costumes, yeah. And see, that, no, so that's not at all like I imagined it. So for me, because it was an Australian trivia night, Australian men would not, at a school trivia night, no. buy a huge... Um, you know, costumes. No. Uh, for me, in the book, they're just some of them making the Just a, you know, <laughs>
1: the our Australian men, like New Zealand men, the only costume they'll do is the Great Gatsby. They just put a hat on.
2: Yes, yeah. So, yeah, so it's just people making some token yeah. um, effort. But that was that made sense for a glamorous HBO series to have all of them wearing these amazing outfits. Yeah. So, um, so no, uh, you know, in, in my mind. Um, My Madeline has dark hair uh, and Reese has blonde hair. But what I always find interesting is that every single reader has their own interpretation of a book. So I know because readers come up to me and they say um, something about something that happened in the book and it didn't happen. I know because I wrote it. Um, But it's something that they've taken from their own life, their own experience, um, because it's their imagination. working along, yeah. Um, so, which was what I love, about it's my imagination and their imagination, and then every single person here would have an entirely different experience. So I think, I don't believe in thinking that um, uh, the adaptations should be exactly, because um, if I started, I wouldn't know where to stop. So I, I know in the very first scene of Big Little Lies, um, Madeline um, falls and hurts her ankle. And I can always remember that because I'm an ankle roller, so my ankle flips over like that. Um, and so Madeline, when uh, Reese, um, she flipped over this way, so it, which is of no consequence. But if you, if you let yourself um, start thinking that, then yeah. I'd say, no, no, your ankle has to fall here, and it really hurts. That's the way. That's agony. Um, But that's why I mean, yeah. Yeah, Who cares? Let 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 it go. I'd rather let it all go and then just enjoy it. And I actually quite enjoyed um, just as a viewer watching some of the subplots that 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 I had nothing to do with.
1: Yeah, I think it's good practice for being a parent. Just let (laughs) Let go. go. Eventually, you just have to let them go and make (laughs) their own, create their own world. So then this wild thing happens, right? So there's the series. What is it? Six episodes, eight episodes of the of, of the book, and then they go. That was very successful, Liam. We would like to make a second series. Could you write that? Was that a thrilling prospect? Um, it
2: was interesting because I, I was saying, no, no, I don't. Um, I'm not interested in doing that. Um, but if you did it, you could do this, um, or you could do that. So I was sort of thinking of ideas, uh, and then they said, um, okay, will you come up with something? So, so even though I've never wanted to write a screenplay, I did agree that I would just come up with ideas for season two, but I didn't know how to come up with ideas without writing it so i wrote basically a novella um so it wasn't written as a screenplay except that i did write it in present tense just with um this is happening this is happening which is quite nice because one of the hard things of writing a book is getting all your characters from room to room so you didn't have to say she sometimes you think oh i just move her um yeah, no. I had
1: never thought about that. You yes. have to explain the journey for yes. a character to get from A to B in a yes movie or television. You can just, just say yes. Yeah, so it was quite. I, I did love
2: that, um, and that's when I then yes thought to myself. I created this character, um, the father and the mother-in-law of um, Perry, mm-hmm. uh, and I thought to myself. Um, Meryl Streep should um, play this role. Uh, And I I can always remember talking to the producers and saying, um, I've got a role for Meryl. uh, And they were saying, um, oh, Leanne, you've become so Hollywood. Look at you. (laughs) You're um, getting on the phone saying, get me Meryl. Um, (laughs) And I was just laughing saying, well, if you can one day say, uh, I said, get me Meryl, and you actually get me Meryl. Uh, I will never ask for anything again. Um, And yet, then they got me,
1: they got me Meryl. Um, I mean, you sweetened the pot, didn't you? Because you actually gave the character her Uh, name.
2: Yes, so I had thought to myself, um, in the beginning I was literally calling her Meryl, but that did not work for the the character. And I thought, I'll look up and see what um, Meryl's middle name is, and just for my own pleasure, um, call her that name uh, and that's when I found out that her, her actual real name is Mary Louise which worked perfectly for the character uh, so it took a while for them to notice before I finally I was thinking doesn't anybody know uh, <laughs> and then I finally got a text saying very clever
1: <laughs> and she was a fan of the she was a fan season. of
2: the the show already so yeah. I don't think she need I, I think they just oh, asked her not would not. you um, yeah
1: Like, where do you go from there?
2: (laughs) Well, I went to Oprah. I said I'd like (laughs) Oprah to play. (laughs) Um, I was quite serious because I then said, no, seriously, I think Oprah's quite good. Yeah. Um, The colour purple. She was brilliant. I thought she was amazing. Um, But no, we couldn't get Oprah, apparently. I don't know know if they (laughs) thought it had gone to a head.
1: (laughs) Do you now... Two questions. Do you want to write more, do more screenwriting? Is that a thing that you enjoyed? No, I wouldn't
2: wouldn't actually do that again because I never minded when um, they changed the book because there's the book and nobody can change my book. Um, But when I finished writing that novella, I thought, where's my book? Um, Because then it just, and it was such a, it was a career highlight having, Meryl actually say lines that i would yeah. written um but other scenes disappeared and so to me they've never where are they because they never oh. got they're not in and there were some good scenes
1: okay. <laughs> so harder to let go when you had written it as a as yes a I screenplay. didn't I didn't like that because mm. I'm in charge of my
2: mm. book I'm the director and the, that's why I don't want to be um because every actor coming to, the, um, to a production brings their own, in that same way that we're talking about, each reader brings their own imagination. So yeah. every actor brings people they know and they bring in their, um, I know because they, they take little gestures from people they've seen and yeah. their own friends and, take, and they create a character in their own way, which is wonderful. Um, but I like, when it's the book, I like being the one in charge.
1: Yeah. Do you, though, now write a novel with an actor in mind to play the character when it's been adapted (laughs) for the screen?
2: No, I honestly honestly do not. The only time it did happen a little bit was with Nine Perfect Strangers. Um, uh, I was writing, and I did, um, um, because Big Little Lies had been happening, and Nicole was asking about the next book, and I was thinking to myself, well, there's no... There's no role for you because the, originally the head of the um, resort uh, was a small bald man called Gregory. Um, <clears throat> but then I had <coughs> I had to use a name because somebody had bidded to have her character's her act, real name used uh, as a character oh. in Nine Perfect Strangers, like in a fundraiser. Somebody. In a fundraiser, okay. yeah, for the Starlight Foundation. And I'd kept thinking I've got to use her name somewhere. Um, and her name was Maria Demichenko, otherwise known as Masha, Um, so a wonderful Russian name, and then I suddenly thought, oh, I know, I'll um, get rid of Gregory, um, (coughs) make her a six-foot-tall Russian, and then I do remember thinking, oh, there you are, Nicole. Uh Uh So I did, um, but that's the only time, honestly. um, And I'm not uh, uh, writing, sometimes I think I'm protesting, too much, but um, I d- just there was something I read saying about nine perfect strangers saying written with one eye on the screen, but I had pages and pages where it was uh, silent. They were all doing a silent meditation, so pages and pages with no dialogue, um, completely in their in their heads. Uh, And I do a lot of internal... Yeah. I I do a lot of where the character's saying one thing and thinking something completely different. So I never want to change my writing and start writing the
1: screenplay. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. uh, Did you get to do some of the glamorous TV things, like, you know, go to the awards nights, those kinds of things, the Emmys?
2: I did get to go to the (coughs) the Emmys, which was um, very glamorous, but... Um, It was important, I remember seeing Emma Thompson once interviewed and she was saying, when you go over to these award things in LA, there's always somebody to make you feel a little bit less important than you are. So I remember when all the planning for the Emmys was happening, I got this email saying, um, and you'll be going along to this, but you will not be going to the Governor's Ball. And I was thinking, I've never heard of the governor's ball. I don't, but it was really clear that I had to know I wasn't invited to the ball. Um, so I sent back an email finally saying I understand Cinderella, um, <laughs> but it was obviously if you don't have the right um, uh, production credit or something. So if you're not, if I was producer, not executive producer, um, and then on the way to the uh, being driven to the the Emmys feeling very uh, glamorous with my husband in the back of the car, oh. uh, and the, our car was stopped and a policeman said to the, to the driver, have you got a celebrity in the back there? And the driver said, nope. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so then <laughs> the policeman said, this way then, so we had to oh drive around. God. And I was saying to my husband, I wrote that book. Yes, would <laughs> be. Yes. He's just saying, nope, nope.
1: <gasps> oh, it keeps you grounded, I suppose. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, who wants to be grounded? Um, you uh, Very shortly, we will go to questions from our audience, but I do want to ask you just a couple more. Um, you, as we've said, publish a novel about every two years. By my calculations, that means that you are <laughs> close to... Well, I, I quite
2: liked the Year of Joy, so I, the, um, so I'm, but I'm no longer calling it a Year of Joy, I'm just calling it an extra year to write my novel, um, so that's this, this year, so i am started, yeah. um, but just in the very early, uh, actually, and I've got two things which I've never, my sister Jackie often does this, where she has two projects going at once, um, so I've got two ideas that I'm working on to see which one takes... You play Get them momentum. off against each other. I do a little
1: bit. Yeah, mm. bit like children. Mm-hmm. <laughs> People say you don't have a favourite, but you do. Um, Stop <laughs> here. Um, what advice do you? So it's eighteen years now since you were first published. What advice can you give to other women who want to do, who want to be writers of fiction? Um, It depends on,
2: uh, if I'm speaking to younger people, I will often say, just lead a really interesting life. Don't, um, you know, if if you're 18, but there are some 18-year-olds who should sit down and write a novel um, because they're geniuses. um, So I don't want to stop (laughs) the geniuses from going ahead and they they won't listen anyway. Um, But uh, otherwise, I would say to young people, go and, you know, lead a million different lives, so you've got all that material to to call upon. So, Um, and write a little bit when you can. Um, I, uh, so there's all different things. I sort of pick thinking, who is this person? Is it a busy, if it's a busy young mother, then I would say don't think that you have to um, write the full novel when you sit down, so you're thinking to yourself, so therefore I can never do it because I will never get enough time to do it. That if It doesn't matter if you've only got um, half an hour, you can still write a paragraph, so not to think that you need a whole day yeah. to write. And in fact, I sometimes think when my children were very little and I had a babysitter who would come just for three hours at a time, uh, and she'd, so she'd be in the house, so the door was shut, so it meant I couldn't keep going out because she knew I'd already had a cup of tea. So I couldn't keep... Um, <coughs> and I feel like sometimes I was more productive in those three hours than I am now that the children are older and at school. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, to, to just think any any little bit of time, uh, right for yourself. Um, and the other thing I say, if um, people are having trouble... <coughs> um, to keep it going, because sometimes it's easy to... Um, to get started is to maybe have a writing partner, and to make a contract with each other, and to say, um, you know, well, say we've got to uh, do so many thousand words by this time once a month or something. Yeah. A writers group is good. Um, yeah.
1: yeah, that feedback and <clears throat> and the I really love the thing that you, your sisters and you do, which is just. Um, unconditionally positive feedback as I well. think so
2: I think um, yeah
1: yeah, yeah
2: I, uh, well I mean yeah. you want somebody I mean, to you do want some somebody helpful criticism some, yeah yeah because I have the editorial process um, so but yeah in the beginning just say it say it's great yeah um, yeah, yeah. Mm, mm, mm.
1: Fantastic. We might bring the house lights up now, and uh, anybody who would like to ask a question of Leanne, move towards one of the microphones on stands, which I'm assuming they're there. Yes, they're there. Look, they're right there. And I think we have some upstairs. Yes, we do, in the circle as well. So come and ask questions if if you do. In the meantime, while they're having a think about that, do you do work with other... uh, tutoring younger, tutoring, mentoring other writers? Um, I
2: haven't, my sister um, Jackie loves, she teaches great courses. Um, I find, I actually uh, find even even the process of just talking about the fact, so for example talking about the fact that I don't plan my books, I find that makes me too self-conscious that then when I go and sit back down to write, I think, oh look at me, not planning. Um, <laughs> I, I sort of can't stand it, I, um, I need, I, I can't, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't want to teach, um, she finds that adds to, her, um, that yeah. helps, but, um, and I'd like to do her course, um, would that yeah. be weird, <laughs> Sorry. would that be weird to go and, <laughs> yeah, it would be, um, but she'd be great, yeah,
1: uh, yeah, no, that's uh, great, I do, I, you know, I, I'm a bit like you, I don't like, uh, teaching the things that I do, I think it's like dissecting a frog. Yeah. And, you know, at the end of it, you've worked out where all the organs yes. are inside it, but it's the there's end. no more frog. Yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah I agree. Yeah.
1: yeah.
2: Yeah, but other people seem sort of um, enriched by that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. Yes, we have a question. Thank you. <clears throat> what is it
2: about the publishing world where very good writers? For example, J.K. Rowling found it so difficult to get published at first. And conversely, a lot of crap does get published. (laughs) And what do you say to encourage people who want to get published? Um, Yes, well, I always use the J.K. Rowling example. Um, So if somebody's saying to me they've been rejected, then I say, well, that shows that it must be wonderful um, because um, it's unlike anything else that's been written before. So somebody has to give you a chance um, because that's always, I guess it's part of capitalism, um, that people want something that they know works. Um, So it's just to, to keep at it. Do you have confidence really in the wisdom of the publishing world? Do they get it right often enough or not? No, well, they're just they're just people, so they're um, you know a, I think there'll be that one person who connects to uh, to the book. That, um, but yeah, you're right. If um, there'll be if people know something works and people have budgets and all that sort of thing, then they might be more likely to to pick something easy that um, follows a follows a formula. But there there will be somebody to um, And then, of course, there is, these days, there's self-publishing, so to get it out there, um, so one of, um, Matthew Riley, um, self-published his books and then was discovered. Um, There's somebody else, what's, um, oh, the one who's, the TikTok authors, the um, TikTok's gone crazy for her, all yeah. the young uh, colleagues. talk, co- book talk, yeah. Yeah. I've asked my daughter, can you please get me on TikTok? Yeah, because apparently yeah. <laughs> she said it doesn't work like that. Uh, <laughs> um, so I think she was self-published, and then suddenly the people have discovered. So um, self-publishing is the other way to go. Okay. Yeah.
1: yeah. Thank you. We've got a question up there. Kia ora, hello. Uh, kia ora, Leanne. Uh, Michelle, thank you. Uh, Quick comment, fan comment, and a question. So, fan comment, five-star comment is, uh, I discovered your books and mainlined them on Audible with Caroline Lee, and my uh, teenage son said, Mum, why are you doing that weird thing, offering to do the dishes, staying in the kitchen, (laughs) listening to that Australian woman? Thank you for that. My fridge was very clean <laughs> and uh, my question is about Nine Perfect Strangers and um, I always felt that it was nine people where you had given us their backstory and all their, their sort of motivations and then it was them on a good day when they arrived and then it was them on a bad day under crisis and I always wondered if that was the plan for the book or that was just in my head. But Thank you. Um,
2: thank you where is this person this nice person I can't
1: she's see. up there she's the, up the, yes it's oh there you are i'm sorry yes. there
2: you are hello <laughs> thank hi. you um and yes caroline lee I've, has brought me who's um does the narration of many of my, my books um, people love her uh and i know exactly what you mean about the kitchen suddenly gets very tidy when you've got the headphones on and you disappear into that into that world um, I think that's what I try to do with every book is um, you have your character and then you test your character so that you put them mm-hmm. in, you, um, you give them something, you work out what they love and then you take away that thing or mm-hmm. you um, get them, you work out what they want and make it hard for them to get what they want yep. or you think of what would be the very worst thing that could happen to this person. And now what do they do? And then it's that interesting uh, question of now, will they act um, according to character or will they suddenly, in the way that we all can, suddenly act out of character? Yeah. Um, So I think I I try to do that with every book, but I guess to an extreme in Nine Perfect Strangers.
1: Yeah, they were in a real crucible, weren't Mm. they? They were all taken out of their usual world and thrust together Mm. like that, yeah. Mm. I I, I keep thinking about bashing somebody to death with a breadboard um oh let's go here thank you that
2: is such an excellent moment when that happens
1: <laughs> um long time reader Loved oh it. thank oh, you thank you very much thank um you. who do you read and who's your favorite author
2: uh so my favorite author of all time is Anne tyler oh, um yes. and so my oh, my favorite, um, favorite gift that I have ever received is um, a signed, a personally signed first edition of the Accidental Tourist. And she definitely inspired me because, um, so she doesn't have, they're not very plot driven books at all, but they're just wonderful characters. And in this book, there are two siblings who are always getting lost. And I remember reading that and thinking to myself, So my sister and I, we were the daughters of a surveyor, but we had no sense of direction. And I was thinking, I could have written about that, uh, written about something so simple and so ordinary. And it was sort of a a revelation that you could write about ordinary people. Um, So yeah, I love her. Her Latest book was called French Braid.
1: Thank you. That makes perfect sense. Great question. Let's go up to this microphone upstairs in the circle.
2: But, um, thank you, Liana. Know, it's been amazing but... listening to you. Oh, thank um, you. I wanted to know so, you've been writing, publishing novels for 18 years, and has anything changed about the way you write over that time? And if it's been intentional or accidental? Um, I don't, in a way, every new book I feel um, yeah. it feels exactly the same. Um, so, I still seem to need to have that flailing about stage. Um, I still ha- I still go through all the self loathing at the beginning um, and think I can't do it. It's never going to. I'll never finish this. Um, but yeah, in in terms of uh, I guess I did as I said earlier. I took that more su- darker, more suspenseful turn. Um, but then I thought in other ways I came I came back. Um, so no, I think I think it's really. <laughs> It's really still me, and um, it's really, and I do think there are o- obvious similarities because it is me still writing, yeah. so there are themes that I continually uh, refer to. There are things apparently, one reader um, said to me, you always, well, please send me your recipe for banana muffins. Um, <laughs> because you always talk about banana muffins. Um, And I have no recipe for banana muffins. Uh, I don't even like banana muffins that much. It's just that I like the voluptuousness of the words banana muffins. So I think that's why I keep writing about them.
1: Very Uh, evocative and the smell of a banana muffin if you're into banana muffins is quite special. Mm -hmm. So I read your books, I read all nine of your books during lockdown we had 170 days in Auckland last year I had time. Um time. And it was wonderful. And I, it was interesting to go and read. One of the last ones I read was Three Wishes, which is your first book. And you could see so much of you as a writer was already on the page, was already developed. And things like your use of time, of going backwards and forwards in, in time and the eavesdropping things that, you know, were, suddenly there's a cameo from someone you've never heard speak before, just commenting on the characters, one of my, I think, I really loved What Alice Forgot, which is your third novel, which plays, you always play with time, but you really play with it in that book, Um, is there a chance that that one might end up on on our TV screen?
2: So that was the one that was very first um, optioned all all those years ago, because my son, who's um, uh, nearly 15, I can remember he was a tiny little toddler and I was with him at, um, at Jim Baroo, we call it, and um, I can remember getting a call and my agent was saying, the, this producer wants to talk to you, and I was saying, but it's time for the parachute, um, and that's his favourite part, you know, when they lift up the, the parachute. Um, yeah, and those years have. Uh, Gone by and and nothing's happened. But yeah, I still think that would. um, I love it. So if you
1: haven't read What Alice Forgot, it's a woman, she gets, bumps her head, loses 10 years. So she goes from, she thinks that she is still in the honeymoon stage with her husband and that she is pregnant, but actually she's got a 10 year old and they're about to get divorced. And it's just delightful to watch how somebody going back in time tries to make sense of years of evolution in a family.
2: Yeah, I, just, um, I got the idea from that one after reading the story of a woman in the UK who lost her memory um, and she was, um, it was like she believed she was a teenager and what I found so fascinating about her was, so she actually had children, but um, because she'd gone back to her teenage self, she actually had no interest in these in these children because, because she was like a teenager and so that's what got me thinking about how um, losing your memory would be like a form of time travel yeah, um, yeah. because yeah it's your memories who make you the person
1: that you are. Exactly, that's really good. Let's take a quick question up here, it might be our last one. Um, hi Leanne, I, I, you're my favourite author by far. Oh, I just think you. you're Um, The way you write characters is just amazing. You're very insightful when you write. And I always feel like there's some meaning in in what's behind each story. Um, I was actually just wondering, because I write myself, I was just wondering what a day in the life of Leanne looks like Mm -hmm. when you are writing a book, and also how much is, Is there any sort of little habit you have, like uh, do you have to sit down with a cup of tea or do you play a certain song (laughs) that gets you going or (laughs) I don't know, your Um, routine?
2: Yeah, um, thank you for your nice comments, by the way. Um, uh, I'm not one of those authors. I I always love reading about those authors who have a particular um, thing that they do. Um, The really... One of the main things that I do is I use a program called Freedom, which is um, uh, uh, stops your internet access. So I've seen that in the, I, I saw Zadie Smith mentioned it in the back of her acknowledgements um, and uh, restricts, so, and you type, you put it in for how long. Um, you want to restrict your access for. And it started to make me feel almost as if it was programming me to write, so whatever it it would put in. Um, So that's one thing. Uh, Another little more old fashioned thing, which I could just as easily do with my phone, but um, I have a beautiful uh, hourglass that a friend gave me, and, and I think it goes for half an hour, and so if I'm in the having trouble with the, the self-loathing, uh, then I turn that over and say I must write for, um, without, um, without stopping to think, without, I just have to keep writing for that um, period of time and that sometimes um, gets me going. Otherwise, um, going for a walk if I get stuck. Uh, and I still sometimes, I think, dating back to when the children were little and I had that babysit for, babysitter for three hours, I still think I think it, that I'm writing in a shift. Um, so I think I do a three hour yeah. shift. Um, but that's, that's about it. And I'm a word counter. Oh, and I also, um, I like to have a book and I do a lot of praise for myself. So in the early, and I write down, so 500 words today, well done, Not um, try harder tomorrow, and then um, <laughs> <laughs> little, That's and great, towards great. the end, um, little stars, if you're doing, because once you've got momentum, I'm doing more, yeah. <clears throat> more words, 1,500, <laughs> <laughs> That's <laughs> adorable. Because <laughs> you've, you've only got yourself to keep you, Okay, good. Yeah, yeah, right. brilliant. Wonderful
1: tips. <laughs> Thank you You're so much. Pleasure. Thank you for your lovely questions, you beautiful people. Um it's all we have time for in oh. this room, but you can oh. go and talk to Leanne at the signing table. Uh her books are for sale and she'd be very happy to sign them for you and have a chat. And I do hope that you have enjoyed this as much as I have. We've been I've been looking forward to doing this since the beginning of last year and then that didn't happen and I'm thrilled that we finally being mm. able to make and have a conversation that's been a joy for me. Thank you all for being here. Ngā mihi nui ki a
0: Kuiliam. really To You've been listening to a podcast from the 2022 Auckland Writers Festival Waituhi o Tamaki. You can find a range of other festival talks, interviews and discussions on iTunes, SoundCloud and on our website writersfestival.co.nz.